All right. Well, welcome this morning to String the Lights, a teaching series that is uh, really teaching us how to put lights on Christmas trees. It's kind of the the long and the short of it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, String the Lights is a series based around Christmas and the season uh, on joy and the issue of joy. If you were with us last week, you might remember this, that I finished the... um, the message with a demonstration of pouring water into a cup, which was a pretty exciting time, right? So here's what we did last week. We took some water and poured it in a cup, and here was my point last week, that this cup kind of represents us and our design, just like a cup is designed for one thing, to hold whatever is poured into it. And when water gets poured into it, if you were here last week, you know that the cup does its job. Now, if you weren't here, this is going to be exciting for you. Um, are you ready? Yeah, this is going to get great in a minute. Uh, the, the deal about this cup is that it does indeed have a hole in it that I'm covering up with my thumb, and in a second it's going to leak out. And here's what I said about that, that we tend to get used to living sometimes our life with joy, kind of pouring out of us one way or the other because pain has poked holes in our life, and that pain can indeed suck the life out of us. And the problem I suggested last week is that the problem is I don't ever want you to get used to thinking that your life is a cup that is supposed to leak because it is not. So as we began this series on joy, I wanted to convince you in your mind and in your experience that you were designed to hold water, not to leak it, that you were designed for joy and to experience joy in all things. The elephant in the room is what do we do with this reality, that pain has poked holes in all of our lives, and it does indeed suck joy out. Not only joy, it sucks hope out sometimes, sucks faith out sometimes, all kinds of love and future kind of poke out these holes as well, that their problem of pain, when you talk about joy, you have to deal with it because it is present all around. So this morning I want to speak to, here we go, I want to speak to this issue of what do we do with the holes that are indeed in our cups? How do we talk about a series on joy when all of us have experienced pain to different degrees or another. Is it even reasonable to speak about this kind of joy? Now, if you were here last week, you remember that what I said is one of the reasons this series is very personal to me, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about joy is as I looked around in my own life and I asked the question, if someone were to describe me using five or even ten adjectives, would they put the word joyful in their top five or top ten list of adjectives they used to describe me? I didn't like the answer to that question. And then I thought, I don't think I, that there will become a time later in life where all of a sudden I will become someone who I am not now unless something changes, right? And if indeed joy is a fruit of the Spirit, something that the Spirit of God works into us, I want to know how is it that I can move toward greater joy, even understanding what that is. So this series is very personal to me because I want to grow in this area as someone who is not an extrovert, And someone who is, I don't think I'm a pessimist, but nor am I an eternal optimist. I'd call myself, like maybe many of you, a realist. Okay, So what about someone like me? Is there a hope that joy can become a part of my life and be be something that is noted and shown in in real ways? And, And pain, the problem of pain, the problem of life is very real for all of us. And it is a question of how in the world can you function and how can I even begin to grow in my own life through this thing. Now, here's, here's a false assumption that we have about joy and pain. It's one that was a part of my life for a long time. We don't, don't always verbalize it, but it is this, that the only way to experience the joy is to find a place in life where you don't have the pain. That joy can't be present in the middle of pain, but it's rather present when you're on vacation and you've forgotten about all the pain at home. Or it's present when you get the, the money in to meet the bills that are due 
that's when joy will come. Or when you get a relationship where someone actually loves you for who you are and isn't the jerk that your ex was, right? Like, then we can experience joy, but not now, certainly not now. And it's a false assumption to think that you cannot experience joy in the moment. I love it the way Tim Hansel puts it, and it's very convicting even as he writes it. He says this about joy. He says that pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. We cannot avoid pain, but we can avoid joy. It's an incredibly insightful statement that Hansel makes. It is absolutely true. Pain is inevitable. You are going to experience pain. You will get sick. Things will not work right. Your faith will not hold the way you wanted it to in the moment that you wanted it to. Your family will not work out the way they want it to. You will be more tired in your life than you ever thought possible. Your dreams may not be fulfilled. I mean, should I go on? about all the negative things that could happen in life. Merry Christmas to you all, by the way, okay? We know this is true, okay? Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. We can't avoid pain, but we can't avoid joy. This is not only true because Tim Hansel wrote it. It is also true because God has told us this is true. Not in these exact words, but he used a man who was the brother, technically the half-brother, but brother who grew up with, grew up in the same home as Jesus. This brother of Jesus, this half-brother of Jesus, grew up next to him. And in that process of growing up next to him, he was like, he didn't even believe in him. So get that for a minute. He did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. So he grows up, and the only thing that turns his attention to make him want to believe in Jesus is the resurrection. After the resurrection, James, the brother of Jesus, then believes. But the New Testament tells us he doesn't believe in Jesus at all until his resurrection. And then after Jesus' resurrection, James writes a letter. And in that letter, he tells people something that is so kind of thought-provoking and so strange, it's so different, that it really stands out as the kind of hook that you want it to be to get your attention. Just the way it is. So... In the book of James, James, the brother of Jesus, writes something that just kind of blows people's minds. I don't know that there's any other place in ancient literature where what James writes about in the book of James is found. It just is not around. And so I want to invite you to turn, if you will, in your Bible to the book of James, because James has something to say about this issue of joy and pain. The book of James is in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible near you in the pew around you. We invite you to turn there and look into the book of James for us. Uh, And by the way, that is our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. Be glad to have you take that with you. But James is writing. He's the brother of Jesus. He's a leader in the church. And um, I'll tell you what, I think I've said this before about James, but when there's someone who doesn't believe and then later in life comes to faith, I tend to put a lot of weight into what they say, especially someone who grew up with Jesus as a brother. That's pretty impressive, and you've maybe heard me say it before. What would it take for your brother to convince you they're God? Like, that's the way James is. Like, he's believed that he's the Messiah. So James is going to move pretty deeply into faith on this thing, okay? And so here's what James writes, and it's so strange, and it doesn't have precedent in ancient history, in ancient literature, but James writes this at the very beginning, chapter 1 of his letter. He says, uh, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And then here's his opening. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. (laughs) Now, we're going to go in and out of the text this morning. This is kind of the way we like to do it here. Um, 
this is amazing. If you've been in church before, you've heard this phrase. But stop for a minute and think with me about the words that James uses. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. He opens up with consider, meaning like he's saying, your opinion of the joy should be this. As you evaluate the situation, here's how you should think about it. Um, Let me give you a superficial pain experience I had yesterday. Real surface level, but frustrating to me and and real, believe it or not, in my life. Uh, We've been looking to uh, replace one of our vehicles in our family. Okay, Now, if you know me at all, you know that I tend to, uh, in a decision like this, I would like to research the options before I just go ahead and make a call. So we did that and spent some time, a lot of time, probably too much time, trying to figure out what to do. Finally make a call, settle on a vehicle, go drive it. Yesterday, good drive. The, the dealer says to me, hey, um, do you want it now or not? I said, I need to go home, chat with my wife. I call him back within a half hour. I have to leave a voicemail and say, we'll take it. He calls me back two and a half hours later and says, sorry, I just sold it. Yeah, to which I'm like, really? No. I'm like, hey, no problem. I'm considering this phone call pure joy. <laughs> Total joy, my friend, right now. This is awesome. Like, I wasn't really set on that car that I really liked, and we finally decided it was the right one after all of our research. That wasn't one that was, no. I'm, so, real moment for me. How, and here's what James saying. Consider, like, evaluate. Measure that moment. You, let your opinion of things like that become joy for you. That's what the word consider means, because my initial reaction, emotional reaction to that phone call, is to consider it frustrating, disappointing, Uh, the process is broken, unfair, unjust, whatever you want to call it. Like, mm. But he says, of your initial evaluation of moments like that, consider, let me tell you how your opinion as a Christian should be formed. Consider those things. And he says, pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, that language around face trials is the same language used when the Good Samaritan comes, the story of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan comes to help um, the uh, the, the Jewish man in need, right? And the Jewish man in need was beaten up, um, abused, and laying on the road in trouble. And the Samaritan comes and he sees him. And the way that the, um, the text talks about the, the man who fell into uh, harm's way is basically like he fell into this trouble. And so James is saying, consider it pure joy when you face trials. And the facing of trials is just like someone, a robber came up on you on the path down to Jerusalem and you were attacked. That's the imagery that James wants you to have. That it's all of a sudden. It's a, I wasn't expecting that phone call from the dealer, but now all of a sudden the car is gone. Like, I wasn't expecting that. These are unanticipated things. This is the call from whoever, the call from the doctor, the call from your now ex who just dumped you. Like, I wasn't ready for that. And these are the moments where James says, for the things that just come up on you like that, that you were not anticipating, the unanticipated pain, consider those moments pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, of all kinds of things. It's, it's a wide-ranging category of all kinds of things. Now, when I hear stuff like that, and if we're honest and not just put on um, a Christian lens for a minute, just, just, if you're honest about this, when I hear people talk like that, I'm like, you're, you're either like crazy and out of touch because nobody does that, or you're brilliant and I don't know which one it is. Like, it's one of the two. It's either let's just get rid of what he has to say, or let's dive in, because this is ridiculous, or it's brilliant, and I don't know which one yet. It depends on what he means by what he just said. And so verse 3 continues, and he says, he gives the reason. He says, because, and here's the why, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, verse 3, because 
you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. This is the why for James, that when your faith is tested and put through an examination, um, this is where perseverance comes into play. This is the capacity to endure under difficult circumstances. This is the taking your faith for a test drive hard kind of situation. And so what James is essentially saying, and put it in these words here, that to James, the test is worth more than the trial. And that's a game changer for me on how I think about what James is saying, that the test is worth more than the trial. In other words, again, my superficial, really easy pain moment from last, last night when the dealer called back, the test of how will I react is of greater value and will shape more in me than the trial itself of needing to go find another vehicle. Yeah, that'll be annoying and frustrating and disappointing. I've got to get over that. But to James, and I believe ultimately to God, the greater value is the test of my own character and leadership and service through that. And that is worth more, and God is willing to test and work that over than even the pain of the trial. And so if you are experiencing your own trials in your marriage, in your schoolwork, in your identity, in your home, in your sickness, your health. What James is essentially saying is the reason that it should be considered pure joy is that the test of your faith is worth more than the pain of the trial that you're going through. And this is strange, but it's true. And he explains it further in verse 4. He says, perseverance must finish its work so that you become you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Like this perseverance must keep going in you and you must not pull out of this moment so that you can become complete, which is, by the way, what all of us, if you're parents, want for our children, isn't it? Like don't we want for our kids to be able to have the longevity of their character formed and developed in ways that will have staying power? Do we not want the next generation of kids and grandkids, and even in our own lives, but our kids and grandkids especially, to experience a maturity and a completeness so that when we as parents or grandparents are no longer on this planet and they are here without our wonderful words of wisdom for them, that they will have developed the maturity and the completeness to handle their own faith, and to handle their own kids and their own grandkids. This is not what we want. And James will say, perseverance finishes that work. This is the classroom which God uses to teach us these things about himself and who we are. And so one way to think about this is that the trial, <clears throat> the trial creates a context in which our response to it is kind of like, look at it this way, our, our tears, our pain, our uh, sometimes hopeless nights, they are watering our prayers, our hope is kind of watering joy in our life. That joy grows in the darkness of trials and temptation, and the, the assumption is, and I said at the beginning, the assumption is joy cannot grow in the dark, but it's a wrong assumption. Joy can grow in the dark. It can absolutely grow in the dark. It is fed by the darkness of your tears and prayer and hope. And that's what James is saying, that know that in the dark, in the hardest of moments, when you're broken up about whatever it is and you legitimately are hopeless about what might happen, 
that your prayers are, are feeding the roots of that joy deep down because joy is that design of God that we might have delight in him and what he has made. And so for me, on this simple, almost silly car situation, here's what I realized late last night going to bed. I'm like, hello, Tim, dummy. Like, now I see, and it's because it's so simple, it's easy for me to see it, but you know, the answer isn't for me, just go get another car and that'll take away the pain of what you have lost. What I learned last night is not that, but here's the real issue. The real issue, Tim, is that your greatest delight in that phone call was not God, but that car. That's the true reality that I have to face. That the greatest delight in that moment in my life wasn't that my God is sovereign, powerful, loving, close, compassionate, and near. That wasn't my greatest delight. My heart had gotten off of that and onto the satisfaction of finally getting the thing that I had wanted. And when that's taken away, I know this is so simple and superficial, but let it be an example of what's deeper and more important. That when that car is taken away, all of a sudden my heart is angry and feels unjustly wrong. It's like, hmm. An answer can be, well, let me just go get another one and I can cover that pain with another car, maybe of equal or greater value. Sure, that's great. But you know what's underneath that? What's underneath that is the testing of my faith. You say, Tim, what's, listen, what's most important? Man, come on. What's most important? Is there still a God in the universe who knows you and cares you and loves you, who sent his son to die for you? Like, is that not true? Are you taking your greatest delight in the things that you can have and consume, are you taking your greatest delight in me? And so it is a a wake-up call and a gift to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because in those darkest moments, that anger and frustration and pain and difficulty are feeding the roots of joy which come down deep and turn us back to delight in God and the things that he has made, which is why even the smallest of light in a moment like that is joy. Even the smallest moment in the time when you're going through pain, the smallest moment where you recognize again, God, you're sovereign in the middle of my cancer, you're sovereign in the middle of my pain, you're you're sovereign in the middle of my family blow up, you are sovereign in the middle of my marriage destruction right now, you are sovereign in the middle of all that, you are close to me. Even the smallest little light can light up the darkness. And that's what James is saying. Character is developed in that. And the character that is developed has enduring consequences and benefits as it continues to grow. And so I don't want you, and I don't want me to ever use as an excuse, my joy will be more complete when, fill in the blank, when I'm healthy, when my schedule changes, when I'm not as tired, when I get the car I wanted, when I get the achievements that I wanted, when I make more money, when I get into a new relationship, when I move homes, when I move churches, when I do whatever external circumstances will happen to you. Listen, that is a false reality. Joy can indeed and is birthed in you in the middle of the hardest of times, which is why James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials, because that is where things really grow. It is a hard reality, and here's what happens in the middle of these these times. We get confused. We're not sure what to do. Look back at your text for a minute. James 
uh, 1.4, he says, perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then here's what happens in the middle of that. In the middle of pain and difficulty, we sometimes don't know how to respond or what to do. And James just gives us perspective here in, in verse 5. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, you know, he's kind of acknowledging pain can be difficult and trials are a real struggle. We sometimes don't know which direction to turn. He says, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. In other words, when you're confused, when your judgment is clouded, when you're not sure where to go, he's just, listen, ask God for wisdom. And this, by the way, if you're still in school and you actually take real tests, this is not the get-out-of-jail-free card, by the way. This is not the, hey, I didn't study for the test, so I don't know. Some of the Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask God. So I don't know how to do, you know, calc. I don't know how to do a bio. I don't know how to do algebra. I forget the English thing supposed to write on history. I don't know. I didn't study any of that. So I don't know. I'm going to get in and just pray that God will give me wisdom and, you know, hope I get an A. Okay, that, that has nothing to do with this verse at all. I'd still encourage you to pray before a test. That might be helpful to you, but I'd also encourage you to study. That might be even more helpful in that moment there, okay? Here's what he's saying. Wisdom is like, God, give me your perspective on life. It's about as simple as that. Like, give me your perspective on life, not mine. That's about the simplest way we can understand Old Testament wisdom, which James is referring to here. God, give me your eyes to see what normally would just be mine. Like, help me to see, and then believing that that is something that God will do. And then he goes on in verse 9 to, to kind of remind us here that the things of earth do not provide us with the satisfaction that we really want because they are so um, transient. He says in verse 9, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. And this I want to talk more about next week, and that is the things that deceive us into thinking that they will bring joy to us. That's going to be more on next week. And then he finishes for now. We're going to, I'm going to finish on verse 12, because he comes back to this point. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. He repeats it. That blessed is the man could literally be translated happy is the man, fulfilled is the person, complete is the person who perseveres under trial because they will they have stood the test and they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to them. So at the end of the day, I want you to know a couple of things. One, this is this time, if you're going through a period of time where you're going through testing, you're going through trial, you're going through a struggle, the testing of your faith will develop character in you and it's worth it. Now here's what we know about character. That, that character, character um, develops or doesn't develop over time, depending on who you are and what you do. And this is why this is so important. Let me put it this way. That as time goes by, underdeveloped character has exponentially greater consequences, while developing character has exponentially greater benefits. Like we know this is true, even if we haven't put it in these words before. But as time goes by... Underdeveloped character has exponentially greater consequences, while developing character has exponentially greater benefits. Meaning, if you're raising a child in your home and the child is not able to handle a no answer or is, has an anger issue or whatever, you know, normal human things. It doesn't mean you're a bad parent, it just means they're a normal human being. Okay? I'm not being critical of parents, I'm just saying this is human behavior. If, if 
The kid is two years old and has an anger issue. It's one thing. If they're 15, it's another thing. And if they're 29, it's a totally different thing, right? Like we understand that as time goes by, it's one thing to say no to mom when she asks, will you help, uh, you know, vacuum the house or put the dishes away? Or to say no to dad if he says, come help me take the trash out or whatever. It's one thing to say no to them when you're in their home. But we know as parents, outside of that, if you don't figure out as a kid how to handle authority, when you don't like what they have to say, how many jobs are you going to keep, right? Like, underdeveloped character has exponentially greater consequences over time. When your boss tells you to take the trash out in your first job and you're like, I don't think so, you're like, that's fine. Then I don't think you're coming back tomorrow. I mean, it's about the way that will go. And the consequences of underdeveloped character have exponentially greater consequences, not only on jobs, but also on relationships, on your spiritual life. And we just understand that. And at the same time, conversely, character that is developing, that is growing, that is responding to trial and struggle in the right way has exponentially greater benefits. So think about it this way. If you're growing into your grandparent years and hoping to grow into your grandparent years, you have a family following you and watching you and what you're doing. Now, you can leave a legacy. Pain, by the way, pain and difficulty will, uh, for most of us, turn us into bitter people, unless we're really careful. There's a a lot of people who just react to pain, all kinds of pain, with bitterness. And your family, your kids, your grandkids will look at you and be like, hmm, if you don't get on top of the bitterness that pain develops, there will be exponentially greater consequences for you as you get older. Number one, you will lose your voice in your family. You will not have an influence that you want to have. Or number two, your kids will only remember the bad stories about you as you get older. And then you will become, and I will become, the story of how I don't want to be when I get older. And so there's exponentially greater consequences if I don't get on top of understanding the struggle and pain. On the, conversely, we, we know this too, that if we get on top of pain and struggle, that there's exponentially greater benefits for us as well. This is just the way that will work. That oh, I remember, you can hear the story of grandkids. I remember when, when Papa or Grandpa or Grammy or Nana, whatever, I remember when she lost her husband. I remember when she got sick badly. I remember when she was in that car accident. And the way that she handled herself was amazing. Because she developed the discipline of taking joy, even in the middle of difficult times. And that becomes a game changer for the next generation. Developing character has exponentially greater benefits for you and for the generations to come. That's just the way it works. And that's why, that's why James says, consider it pure joy. Not when you get out of pain, but even in the middle of it. And I'm going to go back to my definition of joy for a minute. That joy is God's design for humanity to take delight in him and what he has made. That's my definition. You can mess with that if you want to or reject it, whatever you want to do. And the reason I bring that up again is this, that when I say that you should take joy in pain, I do not expect that you are going to be jumping around in the middle of pain. I am not going to respond to the guy who calls me on the phone and says, your car is not here that you want. I'm not going to be like, I love that, right? I'm not going to get excited about that. It's, it's ridiculous. But I want, in my own life, I want to develop a character that says, I want to find delight in God and what he has made, even in the middle of times, as simple and superficial as that. I want to find that delight in even the smallest of light, even the smallest of lights in the middle of darkness will illuminate an entire room. So let me go back to uh, my friend uh, Tim here at the beginning that I quoted you with, Tim Hansel. Here's what he said. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional cannot avoid pain, but we can avoid joy. We just can. And I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for you. Now, 
my cup again one more time this morning. I have to find the hole before I pour, okay? We all are made to hold the water, and we all have pain in our lives, and here's the deal. I don't want you to get used to this as being normal, and I don't think you do either, but something happens when all of us are poked with holes, and this is inevitable that we will be. Um, the question becomes, what happens to this when it comes out of our cup? Like, where do we take this? Right now, this is dripping back into the pitcher, but I will tell you there's other places for this to go. And that is what I want to talk about next week when we get together again to talk about String the Lights. How do we take the things that have shaped us most deeply and hurt us most profoundly and use those weaknesses for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people? And I want to encourage you, in the middle of the pain and difficulty that you have now, don't be afraid to string one light of joy and find something, find something that you can delight in about who God is and what he has made because it will change your character. And that, to James, is worth more than anything else. I just kind of want to plead with you, please, do not wait for things to get better before you create a discipline in your heart of finding joy in the moment that you are in. I just don't want you to get past that now. Please, please, please. I just want you to be able to see God for who he is and his sovereign care and his love even when everything is messed up. It's that discipline that is created now that creates the character that changes people and changes this world and turns our hearts back to our loving Heavenly Father who has made us and turns our heart back to Jesus who has saved us. Even the smallest of lights, even the smallest response to God will help develop that character in me and I hope in you as well. Look forward to continuing this next Sunday for part three of String the Lights. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be together this morning and look into the book of James a little bit, a passage that um, reminds us of the relationship between pain and joy and the um, kind of the back and forth relationship that they indeed have. I pray that you would help us never to be satisfied to think that only when things get better will we be able to experience joy. Help us not to buy into that lie, not to buy into that myth, but to decide to choose that even in my disappointments, and some are daily and more superficial like my car situation, even in those moments to discipline myself, to find something in your character and something in your world that you've created to be thankful for and to be grateful for, to take delight in that my heart can be attuned to joy and life-giving joy. And in the deeper moments when things are indeed darker and are not nearly as superficial but are much closer to home. This is harder and yet I pray that you would help us even to have a little light there that even our own tears or prayers or sometimes hopeless nights would water the roots of joy that they will indeed blossom into our lives that we can be people who even in the middle of the hardest of times God will not be embittered 
angry people who miss that you are still sovereign despite pain. Help us to remember what James says. The test is better than the trial, that the pain is worth it because of what it can create in us. Help us to develop this character, turn our hearts towards you. It takes courage. Help us not to be excuse makers, people who are waiting for something better to happen, who just can't wait for another period of time later in life when everything will be better. Father, help us not to make those excuses, but right now, in the moment, in the frustration, in the anger, in the darkness, to stop and say, man, God, teach me now, teach me now to take delight in you. And I don't know what that looks like, but man, give me wisdom that we can do that now. And so I would pray that for us. I would yearn for us that we can be and that I can be someone who does that, that our character is shaped that we do not become excuse makers, negative people waiting for the next shoe to drop, but people who find delight in our God no matter what. And that takes courage. Give us that courage, I pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of this Christmas season. It is indeed a hopeful time. It is, it is indeed a time of joy. It is a time where we can sing about the delight that we take in our Savior who was born at this Christmas time. And so this is that season overarching that will keep moving in us and around us as we listen to songs in the car or on our phone or wherever we listen to we driving around. We hear all kinds of sounds of the season. Father, I pray that you would awaken in us again the joy of your son, Jesus Christ, coming to this earth to take on human flesh, to announce to the world that indeed joy has come. Help us to sing and live in that moment while also recognizing we need that even in the darkest of times. We love you. We thank you for your favor, your grace, and your patience with us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.